Welcome to the show, y'all. There's a lot going on with the election, so we're going to dive in in just a little bit, but we have Tom Steyer-Steyer versus Bernie Sanders. The honeymoon period is over. Uh, I got a thousand stories on Michael Bloomberg, because however bad you think he is, he's significantly worse. Um, The other day, I predicted... um, the next argument that they're going to make about Bernie, mainstream media I'm talking about here, and it turns out I'm 100% correct, and I'll give you the evidence of that. Uh, And later on in the show, we have uh, sleepy Joe Biden. We have Amy Klobuchar not knowing basic things. So get ready. I'm also going to disagree today with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You have that to look forward to as well later on in the show. So, um, oh, and another Bernie ad, another fan-made Bernie ad, which is unbelievable. So you don't want to miss that. Without further ado, let's get started. And we'll do that with uh, Steyer Steyer versus Bernie. Recently, Bernie Twitter world has been very kind to billionaire Tom Steyer 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 Steyer. Um, because it appeared like Steyer Steyer was cuddling up um, to Bernie and aligning himself more with the left than the center. That was definitely the optics of uh, what was happening. And, in fact, they were at a couple of events together. Not like they went together, but it it was different events for presidential candidates. I believe this one was on Martin Luther King Day. And uh, a bunch of memes came out of there because uh, Steyer Steyer looked like he was genuinely excited to be around Bernie. And there was that moment when Elizabeth Warren 
tried to plan it out to tell Bernie, like, did did you just say I'm a liar on national TV? And Stair Steyer was right behind them. And uh, he was like, to Bernie, I just wanted to say hi. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, lefty Twitter world was like, oh, okay, maybe Stair Steyer's not that bad. Also with uh, Hillary Clinton saying, you know, nobody likes Bernie, Stair Steyer tweeted, I like Bernie. So there were a couple things he was doing where it was almost like he was trying to hitch his wagon on the winning side of the Democratic Civil War. But, but, you know, I, uh, I was always looking at him with an eyebrow raise going, what's your angle, bro? Well, uh, now we know that whoever was skeptical, it was certainly merited. The honeymoon is over. Uh, Steyer Steyer just released a new anti-Bernie Sanders attack ad in, in one of the upcoming states. I'm not sure. I think it's South Carolina, but don't quote me on that. But in one of the upcoming states, maybe Nevada, not, not sure, Nevada. You can't say Nevada because then people in Nevada say that's not how you say it. Um, so it, here it is. Let's watch and we'll discuss. Work, bitch. You need to work, bitch. It is frozen in this motherfucker. Frozen in this motherfucker. Do they just want me to sing show tunes to you all day? Okay, let's try that again. That was obnoxious. There's a reason people are nervous about Bernie Sanders scrapping Obamacare. You don't know how much your plans are? You don't know. Nobody knows. Unions don't like it. They want to tell their members that, look, this guy wants to take away your health care. Most Americans know it won't pass. They do not like Medicare for all. And Bernie can't. You're going to propose a plan to the American people and you're going to tell them how much it costs? Won't. Give us a price tag. Thankfully, there is a better way. contradiction at the heart of that ad. You can't say, well, I have a public option, and I believe health care is a fundamental right. No, if you believe it's a right, you agree with Bernie's plan. Full stop. End of discussion. So I'm tired of, I mean, this is so dishonest. It's disingenuous. It's wrong. It's misleading. Listen, all of these plans that like want to nibble around the edges and do little tweaks and preserve Obamacare but expand it a little bit. You're going to get your ass handed to you on a silver platter, and the plan is not going to be that popular because guess what? Obamacare always hovered around 50%. When we talk about single-payer Medicare for all, he says people don't want it. That's not true. The polls show the overwhelming majority of people want it. Even in the exit polls in the first two states in Iowa and New Hampshire, the lowest number, I believe, was 6 out of 10. In one state, it was 7 out of 10 people. Not only do they want Medicare for all, they say, and this is how the exit poll uh, – phrased it, 
I want to, quote, eliminate private health insurance. See, the propaganda is now falling flat because people are getting more and more educated on this, in large, in large part because of Bernie Sanders. I mean, people get it now. They understand that the rest of the developed world, uh, every other developed country has one version or another of a universal health care system. And so when Bernie says, I want single-payer Medicare for all, I want health care that's free at the point of service, people go, oh, okay. So that would just catch us up to the rest of the modern world. So all of your fear-mongering is irrelevant. All your fear-mongering is not going to work. This idea that you're going to scare us into wanting to preserve a mafia-like middleman that's ripping us off at every turn. And that's what all the talking points come to when, when they discuss unions. Oh, unions, you get to keep your plans under my bill. Okay, well, thank you for bragging that you're going to allow a mafia middleman to continue to rip off the unions. I got news for you. There are a lot of unions now that support single-payer Medicare for all. And of the ones who don't, that's because the union bosses are calling the shots there, and they're in bed with the for-profit health insurance companies and Big Pharma. So it's just the scare tactics are so fundamentally weak. And all the lies about Bernie, oh, my God, he doesn't know how much it's going to cost. How many times? They always clip out the next comment he makes. Now, what's the next comment he makes? It's going to save money. No matter how much the price tag ends up being, it is going to save money. That's a fact. How do I know that? It's not me speaking. It's a very detailed study from the University of Massachusetts Amherst that came out about a year or two ago. And the finding was that over a 10-year period, Medicare for All saves $5.1 trillion. Now, there are low-ball estimates and there are high estimates. The lowball estimate is about $2 trillion, and that's from a libertarian Mercatus um, study, which was funded by the Koch brothers. So even in the studies that plan to take down Medicare for All, the results are Medicare for All saves money, either $2 trillion over 10 years or $5.1 trillion over 10 years. By the way, another study came out just the other day. We're going to talk about it um, later in the show. Now, I was under the impression Medicare for All would save 32,000 to 45,000 lives every single year. Turns out that might be a, a you know, a lowball estimate, that this new study says Medicare for All would save 68,000 lives every single year. So the question you need to ask Tom Steyer, Steyer is, are you okay with 68,000 people dying every single year because they don't have access to basic health care? Because that's the system you're trying to preserve. Your mild tweaks around the edges aren't going to solve Dickie McGee's axe. I'm so sick of this stuff, man. But anyway, the honeymoon is over. The honeymoon is over between Tom Steyer, Steyer, and Bernie Sanders, as you can see right here, everything he was doing was just like, you know, hitching his wagon to the more popular candidate to eventually stab him in the back and hope people don't recognize. Okay, he's trying to have it both ways. Oh, I want to align myself with the most popular guy in the race, but then also, the second it's politically convenient, I'll stab him in the back, but more importantly, stab the, one of the most important policies Bernie is pushing for in the back. So now you know, billionaire going to billionaire. That's what's happening here. And these are vicious, stupid attacks on Medicare for all. Again, how many times have we made this point? How many times have others made this point? Why don't they talk about costs when it comes to war, when it comes to Wall Street bailouts? Those things, they just bake into the cake of democracy and say, what do you mean? That's what we need a military. So shut, shut the hell up. We need a military. So obviously we're going to spend whatever it is now, $750 billion a year, which is insane, more than the next 10 biggest countries combined. Obviously we're going to spend that. What do you mean? We've got to protect ourselves. Well, why can't 
we say the same thing about healthcare. What, what do you mean? How much is it going to cost? We have to protect ourselves. We can't have six to eight thousand people dying every year because they don't have access to basic healthcare. We can't have five hundred thousand people dying because they, or excuse me, five hundred thousand people going bankrupt because they can't pay medical bills. So notice how selectively they use that logic. It's it, this is infuriating. But anyway, this is all the more reason to support Bernie, support him vociferously, make phone calls for him, you know, text for him, whatever it may be, knock on doors, talk to your friends, talk to your family, because this is the kind of nonsense. These are the attacks they have, guys. Oh, my God, Venezuela. Oh, my God, you know, Medicare for all is bad. These, these are the arguments they make because they have nothing. Oh, my God, the Bernie bros. Oh, the Bernie bros. The people are so mean to me online, so now I'm not in favor of free college and a living wage and universal health care. Oh, well, then aren't you just a fucking spectacular moron? <laughs> I love, I love that there are some people out there who actually think like that. Like, man, you know, listen, did I support everybody having health care? Yes. Did I support ending the wars? Yes. But then, you know, uh, on Twitter, BernieBro6969 tweeted at me, and, and it was a picture of a, a pig shitting on its own balls. And now I'm against Bernie. <laughs> You're so silly, man. Who cares? Who cares? Judge the candidate by what you think of their followers. And by the way, of course, let me add, the idea that Bernie supporters are uniquely mean is not true. Usually Bernie supporters are responding to somebody saying something really stupid and immoral, and they get angry. So that's freaking justified. But anyway, I digress from that conversation. Tom Steyer-Steyer is canceled. All right, get ready, man. Now, now we wade into the Bloomberg territory. Bloomberg, Bloomberg is a little bitch. <laughs> Michael Bloomberg is continuing to brazenly bribe his way to relevance in this election. That's not hyperbolic. That's not even a little bit of a stretch. That's exactly what's happening. Look at what he's now doing. This is according to Open Secrets, who track uh, money and politics. He keeps donating to the respective state parties. So he gave $10,000 to the Oklahoma Democratic Party, 2500 to Texas, 10000 to Montana, 10000 to New Mexico, 10000 to Rhode Island, 5000 to New Hampshire, Tennessee, 7500 Arkansas, 7500 The list goes on and on there. What he's doing is he's trying to, one by one, pick off and buy off the state parties in all the respective states. This is how he's effectively bought rules changes. So we discussed it, you know, on on the show a couple weeks ago, but Michael Bloomberg gave $300,000 to the DNC. And then, oh, lo and behold, look at that. The DNC changes the rules to get into the debate. There used to be an individual donor threshold. I believe it was about 225,000 individual donors. The only way you can get on the debate stage, one of the requirements is that you have more than 225,000 individual donors. Why? Because grassroots enthusiasm is a good indicator of seriousness as a candidate. Well, for Michael Bloomberg, because he donated $300,000, they go, oh, look, we changed the rules. Would you look at that? And you don't need to hit any number of individual donors. So go ahead, Mike, now you're on the stage. An underreported fact is that not only did he give $300,000 to the DNC, he also uh, gave $800,000 to the Democratic Grassroots Victory Fund, which is the, the collective group of the state parties. So he gave $800,000 plus $300,000 plus now, you know, 
depending on which um, state and what the rules are, anywhere from 2500 to 10000 to each individual state on its own. This is extra. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see why this is unacceptable? Do you see how disgusting this system is? This, this isn't democracy. If these exact same set of facts were happening in Russia and, you know, or fill in the blank with any, you know, official enemy state to the United States, do you realize how we would cover it? There wouldn't be a question. They wouldn't debate whether or not this man is an oligarch. He's obviously an oligarch. He went from 0% in the polls to 10%. Some polls he's at 13%. He bought his way to third place in the national polls. Why? How? By doing what he's doing here, buying the state parties, but also carpet bombing the airwaves. To this point, he spent over $351 million on ads. I can't watch TV without a Michael Bloomberg ad coming on. And by the way, he's violating election law in those ads, but it's not going to be enforced because we have hilariously non-enforced laws in this country uh, when it comes to campaign finance. But he's running ads where it looks like Obama endorsed him. The whole ad is like Obama-centered, and you know it's, it's him saying, oh, Mike's great. This was back when he was mayor of New York, and he was doing an event with him, and it's him shaking his hand and you know, all that stuff. Incredibly misleading, incredibly disingenuous. This man does not care. He doesn't care about ethics. He doesn't care about morality. Wait until, you, wait until I get to the stories later about some of the positions that he's taken over the years mind-boggling. I mean, what you already know is bad enough, like, you know, blocking a minimum wage increase in New York City. By the way, strike one, you're out, skis. I'm done with you. <laughs> blocking a minimum wage increase. Who does that? Somebody who doesn't care about low-wage workers, that's who does that. A spying program on Muslims in, in New York City, which got a grand total of zero leads. He was spying on innocent people and taking away their constitutional rights, banning big gulps in a flat-out authoritarian move. I don't like big soda, so I'm going to ban them. Guys, this is what we already know about him. Wait until I get to the stories you don't know about him. Oh, boy. However bad you think he is, worse. He's worse than that. But you shouldn't be surprised. Because what kind of a person decides, I'm going to jump into the race, I'm going to buy everything in sight, and I'm going to try to just corrupt my way into the White House. This guy would get slaughtered by Donald Trump, man. He would get obliterated by Donald Trump. Donald Trump would make Michael Bloomberg look silly. Silly. You can't buy your way that far, son. You know, you might get, you know, far enough in this race, but at some point you're going to hit a roadblock and the chickens are going to come home to roost because every single step he's making is massively unethical. So um, this is where we're at in the race now, man. We're at a place where a billionaire has bought the, the Democratic Party, corrupted the rules, trying to rig his way to the White House, and... Um, by the way, the media, this is the most important point. This story that I'm giving you right now, you shouldn't have to come to YouTube and come to Secular Talk to hear this story. You should hear this on mainstream media. Weird, why are you not hearing it on mainstream media? Well, like we discussed previously, all that money that's going towards ads, who's the beneficiary of that? When Michael Bloomberg spends $351 million in ads, where does that money go? goes to the networks. It goes to the networks. So they're the beneficiary of Michael Bloomberg running. They want Michael Bloomberg to keep running. He's at best, at worst, he's buying their silence. At best, he's buying people who will just defend him and agree with him on air. But when you're like, let's say you're a local news outlet, this dude comes in and buys up a couple million dollars in ads in your market. 
all of a sudden you're flush with cash. You can hire more people, you make more money, everybody's happy. So he comes in and props up whole news marketplaces. What do you think is going to happen? You think that, you know, they're going to be open to strong criticism of him on the air, the bosses? No, they want that money to keep flowing in. So they'll rationalize themselves. No, we're still doing our job, but you know what? We have a couple candidates where certain criticisms are out of bounds. Don't talk about the integrity of the process being corrupted. Don't talk about any of that stuff. Don't talk about the harshest criticisms. You know, it's what's best for business. And we'll, we'll make up for it by being tougher on other candidates. They'll rationalize it to themselves. But effectively, he's buying support from the media. You don't throw $351 million around and not make friends. And this was the other story recently. Michael Bloomberg has been buying influencers, buying Instagram folks and freaking YouTubers and whatnot. This is what he's doing. He's trying to, you know, basically buy memes and an online presence to ride that wave into the White House. This is embarrassing. Our system is in embarrassment right now. The fact that this guy bought 10 to 13% in the polls, he bought his way into third place, and now we're having a real conversation about him being a real candidate is pathetic. It's pathetic, man. Don't fall for the nonsense. This guy will change nothing. This guy backed George W. Bush in 2004. This guy was a Republican most of his adult life. And I don't believe his transition. That's the most important point. If you make the transition and you're genuine, and I, I can tell, okay, but he became a Democrat. This is just a way, an attempt to ride his way into power. This guy's ideological concerns, he's against left-wing goals, against left-wing policies. But this shows you the rank hypocrisy of the establishment Democrats, because they're more likely to line up behind Bloomberg than they are to line up behind Bernie Sanders. So a guy who's basically running on the continuation of FDR's New Deal legacy, a guy who's a social Democrat, they're going to they're going to snub him and they're going to run into the arms of a rank corporatist, a right-wing Democrat. This is terrible to watch, man. Do not let it happen. We better get Bernie Sanders elected because he's the real deal and Michael Bloomberg is nothing but an oligarch. Okay. Next, I am going to do a little bit of a makeshift segment here. Makeshift segment, makeshift segment. Makeshift segment, makeshift segment. Here we go, motherfucker. Okay, this story just broke. This story just broke about an hour ago. Um, Michael Bloomberg released an ad going after, not Bernie Sanders himself, going after... Bernie Sanders supporters. The old Bernie bro narrative for the 9,312th time. 
So let's take a look at the ad and then we'll discuss. they make this argument. They make this argument because they have Dickie McGee's axe on Bernie Sanders himself. This is what you do? Mike Bloomberg, you think he could have a policy debate with Bernie Sanders and walk away looking better? Answer, no. You know what? He even knows that. Michael Bloomberg knows that. Michael Bloomberg knows his policy chops are nothing compared to Bernie Sanders. Michael Bloomberg knows Bernie Sanders is a true believer in FDR-style social democracy. He's a New Deal Democrat. And Bernie would wipe the floor with Michael Bloomberg. So when you can't defeat your opponent based on their record, based on their history, based on their policies, what do you do? I don't know. i got to find something. So what do you say? Uh, his supporters are mean. Okay, first of all, no. But second of all, even if they were, I don't care. Why should I care? I care about getting Medicare for all and free college and a living wage. Could you imagine the peanut brain one must have to come to the conclusion, you know, I did support getting everybody health care and saving 45,000 lives every single year, but then Bernie Bro 6969 on Twitter was mean to me, so therefore now I'm against Medicare for all. Well, then congratulations on being the most giant moron in the world. You know, I was against these endless wars, and I was against killing hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians overseas, but then somebody was really rude to me, so I've changed my position on that, and now I'm pro-war. See, like, politics to somebody like Michael Bloomberg, he's a billionaire. He's comfortable. There aren't real-world consequences to this shit to him. To him, it's all a game. It's, uh, it's a chess match, and I'm trying to corrupt my way into the White House. But to real people... Who cares about your civility and your decorum? Forget your civility and your decorum. You know who I want civility and decorum for? The hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians that we killed overseas. The 45,000 people who die every year because they don't have access to basic health care. The 500,000 people who go bankrupt every year because of medical bills. The half of American workers who make less than $30,000 a year. Civility and decorum is just a veneer of respectability over the corrupt, rotten system that screws over all those people I just referenced. So I care about those people. And if somebody's got to scream and drop some curse words and be angry to get change for those people, by all means, go right ahead. But this isn't how he thinks about politics. These guys have not experienced anything remotely resembling oppression in their lives. So they think this is oppression. They think that when people on Twitter dunk on their stupid takes, 
They think, oh, my God, this is the biggest story in the world. People are being so rude and mean to me online, and they're not allowing me to say stupid things without any consequences. That's right. That's right. Welcome to 2020, bitch. We're not done either. We're just getting started. All the, for every time they say, oh, my God, the Bernie Sanders supporters are so mean. It, invariably, every single time, the Bernie Sanders supporters are responding to something somebody said that is actually stupid, dumb, immoral, unethical, over-the-top, wrong, corrupt, fill-in-the-blank with whatever negative word you can think of. I know because I've done the same thing. I've seen terrible takes. People coming out against an increase in the minimum wage. You know, people backtracking on Medicare for All and saying it's not popular when it is popular. These various plots that are hatched in smoke-filled back rooms to try to take down Bernie Sanders, not in an upfront way, not in an honest policy debate, but in a way to smear him. Yes, people are going to get mad about that. Yes, they're going to fire back. And you can go to www.takeitbitch.com. See, I did... Now, I get it. Bernie Sanders is playing the game, and the game is him goes out, and he goes out there, and he's like, you know, hey, let's have civil discourse. Let's have civil dialogue. We don't want anybody as part of our movement who, you know... Uh, does unethical things, but just understand, this is nothing but a cynical strategy from, from mainstream media and from corporate Democrats. And let me explain something to you. We all have experienced stuff like that online. All of us. Are you kidding me? There's been plenty of Kamala Harris supporters, for example, who have gone after the left and the Bernie supporters in the most vituperative, over-the-top, absurd way possible. Do I do shows where I come out here and, me, coming and supporters with me, guys, me. No, I don't do that because I'm not a child. I'm not a child, unlike you. We could run ads. Here's a tweet from a Kamala supporter. Here's a tweet from a Warren supporter. We could do that. We don't do that. You want to know why? Because we're adults. We're talking about serious issues. How about you? You're not serious. You have nothing to talk about. You're trying to buy your way into the White House, hence the $300,000 donation to the DNC, $800,000 donation to the uh, Democratic Grassroots Victory Fund, which is the state parties, $351 million worth of ads. Now you're buying YouTubers and media influencers. You have nothing to say. You have nothing to talk about. Your record is trash. Your policy positions are trash. And so you get triggered when people respond in your mentions and hold a mirror up to your face and say, you see this? This is what you are. This is who you are. You're a, a soulless, unethical, immoral loser. And guess what? We're going to stop you. And also, as I've made this point a million times, but I'm going to make it a million more because it's true. All the whining. Well, they whined about Trump supporters, too. And he rode that energy and enthusiasm right into the White House. So really, in the case of Bloomberg specifically, I think he's just triggered. He doesn't have that genuine support. Now, I just told you before, there are some other candidates. There are plenty of Kamala supporters who were mean online, plenty of Warren supporters who are mean online. Biden has no supporters, so it's a little bit of a different story. But in the case of Bloomberg, I honestly think he's just triggered that he doesn't have that kind of support. He wants that kind of support. And so this is the only attack he can come up with against Bernie. I have something in my eye, and it's driving me fucking crazy. Fuck. Ah! Oh. Oh, fuck, I got an eyelash in my eye, and it's killing me. I'm going to have to go to my glasses during the break, and I might have to take an early break, bro. Oh, all right, yeah.
Yeah, let me do that. I'm mid-rant on Bloomberg, but I got to take a break real quick. <laughs> Stay right there. We'll be right back. Son of a bitch, god damn it. Alright, I'm back. Oh. That was bad, man. That was really bad. I, there was like a giant eyelash or something in my eye. And it was like incapacitated me. <laughs> so anyway, I got on some glasses now and I should be, uh, I should be okay. I forget, I forget where I was in my Bloomberg rant, but it doesn't really matter. Bottom line is, you get the picture. Uh, this guy has no actual line of attack against Bernie Sanders, and so he has to go all in with the mucked-up fake scandal of the Bernie bros online. And uh, really, when push comes to shove, I think he is jealous to one extent or another that he doesn't have that kind of, you know, um, 
support. He doesn't have that kind of strong support. Even other candidates who aren't doing well in the polls have a stronger support base that's more passionate than Bloomberg does. Um, but if this is all you got, man, it's going to be easier than we thought because that argument didn't work the first time in 2016. It didn't work the second time, the third time, and the fourth time in 2019 because they have tried it before, and it's going to fail again this time. If anything, you make us more likely to support Bernie Sanders. You make us more passionate. And uh, this reminds us that we're up against a bunch of people who are not genuine actors with real criticisms. These people don't care about policy. They don't care about improving lives. This guy's a malignant narcissist who's just trying to get into the White House, and he thinks that attacks like this are going to help that. But guess what? It's going to hurt it. Okay. All right, next. So the other day, I predicted the next argument that they're going to make about Bernie. Um, I said that they'll say, meaning mainstream media, sure, he won, but he has nowhere near a majority of support. So Bernie has a ceiling of support, and he probably can't eclipse a certain number, and that number's probably low, like around 30% or whatever. So... Is he really winning? He's losing by winning in Iowa and New Hampshire. I told you this is the argument that they're going to make, namely the ceiling part. The, oh, he has a ceiling. He can't get above this certain threshold. Other candidates, you know, they can. So like clockwork, here's that criticism. Now, this is just one, but it's been made by multiple people in the past few days. This is from Meet the Press. They say, uh, data download, plus, if you look at the combined percentages of the centrist candidates versus the liberal ones, the centrists perform better in both Iowa and New Hampshire. And then you see the graphic, it says, the Sanders ceiling, so the exact terminology I told you about. And it shows um, the centrist vote, 51% to 47% for uh, Warren and Bernie, and then in New Hampshire, 52% for the centrist and 35% for the liberals in uh, for Warren and Bernie. So look at those numbers. Now, here's why this is BS. I mean, there's a thousand reasons, but the most glaring error is this. People don't break down like that into a clean ideological line. So in other words, people who support Biden, you know who their number two choice is? I'm not kidding about this. Bernie. Overwhelmingly, the people who support Biden would go to Bernie if Biden drops out. Now, listen, I get it. You and I know that, that ideologically that doesn't make sense. Like, if you support uh, Biden, to go to Bernie is like you're going to somebody who's completely ideologically opposed to the guy you're supporting now. So Mayor Pete is a better fit. Klobuchar is a better fit. But people don't know labels. People don't know ideology. In, in many respects, people just know, I don't know, I like this person. So to, to break it down like that is ridiculous. And then also, you know, for liberal vote, okay, 
Well, when you include Yang supporters and Tulsi supporters in there as well, well, then maybe you get the liberal voters eclipsing the centrist voters. You, you left out Yang and you left out uh, Tulsi. Now, they don't have that much support, but is it enough to get them over that threshold? It's close to it, right? It, it'll be about tied or maybe with the, the leftists having a slight edge. So even according to their own experiment, they're gaming the numbers. But their own experiment is stupid anyway. Their own experiment is stupid anyway because, like I said, it's not, that's not how people think about politics. They don't think about it like that. But they're trying to make the case, oh, see, the centrists are more popular. Somebody said on Twitter, oh, if uh, Mayor Pete, Amy Klobuchar, and Joe Biden all run together as one person wearing a giant trench coat and standing on each other's shoulders, then we're in trouble. <laughs> like, this is not how elections work. But, okay, so... This is the argument that's being made now. There's been a thousand other headlines of, oh, my God, Bernie a ceiling, Bernie a ceiling, Bernie a ceiling. Well, he'll never eclipse 30%. I've heard this argument somewhere before. Hmm, where have I heard it before? Guys, in 2016, this argument was all over the place about Trump, where they're trying to say he can't win because he has a ceiling. In 2016, this is Politico. They says has Trump hit his ceiling? Um, but it was everywhere. If you Google Trump ceiling 2016, you'll see countless articles all saying the same thing. Okay, sure, he's winning, but it, by winning, he's actually losing because he can't get a majority. So, you know, he's going to lose. Yes, but by your own standards here, everybody else is doing even worse. So they also have a ceiling. You can say, oh, my God, Bernie Sanders has a ceiling, but then the people who came in second, third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth don't. By definition, their ceiling is lower than Bernie's ceiling because they lost to him. They're not guys. They're barely trying. But you know what? We should be happy because what does this show? This shows they got nothing. They got nothing. We're already at the wishful thinking stage of this election. That's where we are, the wishful thinking stage. So um, I guess we can take that to the bank and we can be happy about it because you would have thought by now they would have had some better arguments. But no, they're still stuck on, you know, oh, my God, Venezuela. Oh, my God, Bernie bros. Um, oh, he has a ceiling. It's like all these people in mainstream media are just overpaid hacks and it's never been more clear. Okay. All right, next, baby. Here we go. So Bernie is absolutely crushing his Democratic rivals in head-to-head matchups. This is something that I couldn't wait to show you. This is a Yahoo YouGov poll. Um, So look at the breakdown here. In a head-to-head, Bernie Sanders versus Joe Biden. Bernie is up by four. This is the person who's closest to him, by the way. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. You have uh, Elizabeth Warren. He's up by two with 14% undecided. So that one's closer, I guess. Now it gets fun. Now it gets fun. Michael Bloomberg versus Bernie Sanders. Bernie's up 53 to 38. Pete Buttigieg, 
54 to 37. Amy Klobuchar, 54 to 33. Now, I submit to you, if it was any other candidate doing this well, there would be people in mainstream media saying the race is over. We're two contests in, and it's game, set, match. Let's say Biden won Iowa and Biden won New Hampshire, even though he came in like 812. If he won those two states, the media would be saying, pound the gavel, it's over. Nobody's going to mount a charge. Nobody's going to topple this guy. This guy's been leading in the polls all along. Now he wins the first two states. What do you think is going to happen moving forward? Is there a magic wand somebody's going to wave that's going to you know, magically make another candidate surge? It's not going to happen. But since it's Bernie, oh, my God. They do everything they can to undermine it, to downplay it, to act like it doesn't matter, to act like the wins aren't serious, to say, oh, my God, he has a ceiling. Oh, if you combine the other candidates together, well, then Bernie Sanders is getting crushed. But that's not how elections work. So um, this is so you know the strength that he actually has at this moment. But make no mistake about it, they're still going to try fuckery. We got Nevada upcoming. Nevada, I should say. And in Nevada, the last time around, oh my goodness, there was all types of fuckery. There was all types of, you know, um, attempts to shut out the will of the people. So just know, it, it could be sketchy in Nevada. I'm warning you up front. Also, there's questions about, they were originally going to use the app that was used in Iowa, now they ditched that app, but they're also still relying on technology in one way or another and using some other technological thing, which is just silly at this point. So look out, man, because uh, it could get ugly. But in a race that makes sense and a race that continues to reflect the polls, he's sitting pretty right now. And uh, you have a bunch of last-ditch ditch efforts where Biden's barely hanging off for dear life. He plummeted. His one strength was electability, and now that's gone. Now Bernie's viewed as the most electable. And now they're banking on, you know, hoping on a Michael Bloomberg surge as the establishment I'm talking about here. Um, Pete and uh, Amy have like absolutely no support with people of color. So they're toast. And Warren is just right now. She's the queen of wishful thinking <laughs> to steal from that song from like the 1980s or early 1990s. Um, cause she ain't going anywhere either, but there you go. Head to head matchups. This is another thing they're probably not going to show you on corporate media, but now, you know, Bernie's strength moving forward. All right, back to Michael Bloomberg. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. Michael Bloomberg went on TV during the 2014 Israeli bombing of Gaza known as uh, Operation Protective Edge. And he made a full-throated defense of war crimes. It's difficult to watch the images that we air on, on our network and other networks. This week, a school attack that had thousands in there. It was described as bloody mattresses, children killed who were sleeping next to their parents, um, the U.N. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon said Thursday, nothing is more shameful than attacking 
sleeping children. Did Israel go too far? Israel cannot have a proportional response if people are firing rockets at their citizens. Can you imagine if one of the contiguous countries to America were firing rockets at America, the same people who are criticizing the Israelis would be going crazy demanding the president does more. Unfortunately, if Hamas hides among the innocent, the innocent are going to get killed because Israel just does not have any choice but to stop people firing Hamas, firing rockets at their citizens. They have a right to defend themselves, and America would do exactly the same thing. Didn't the Geneva Conventions lay out that you cannot attack schools or hospitals? Nobody's attacking schools or hospitals. We're attacking Hamas. But Hamas is standing in the middle of a hospital. If they're standing in the middle of a hospital and firing rockets at your kids, what would you expect us to do? Would you really want us to not try to stop them? And unfortunately, if there are innocents getting killed at the same time, it's not Israel's fault. So when you bomb a school and you know children are in there, it's not your fault. What do you want us to do? Hamas. Hamas bad. Let me give you the numbers on uh, 2014 Operation Protective Edge. Between July 8th and and August 27th, more than 2,100 Palestinians were killed in the Gaza Strip. 2,100. The number of civilians? 1,462 civilians. I don't know how that breaks down as a percentage, but according to the UN, they say about 80% civilian casualty rate. The number of women and children, there were 495 children who were killed and 253 women who were killed. Now, on the Israeli side, 66 Israeli soldiers were killed and 7 civilians were killed. Michael Bloomberg is arguing for a response here that's lopsided. He's saying, yeah, that's what... What, do you want us to respond in a proportional manner? No. We're going to respond in a lopsided manner. And if we uh, bomb schools, if we bomb hospitals, during this bombing they also um, attacked the only power plant in Gaza. He's like, tough cookie, suck it up. That's what we're going to do, and it's the right thing to do. Oh, we bombed a school and we knew kids were in the school? It is what it is. It's not our fault. Really, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? He keeps bringing up America as like, oh, imagine if we were in that situation. Imagine if somebody did that to us. That's the real imagine if scenario here. That's the real imagine if scenario. Somebody bombed an American school with knowing that kids were inside. Somebody attacked Americans. There were 2,100 deaths. 1,462 of them were civilians, 495 of them were children, 253 were women. This guy is callous. This guy absolutely, as president, would commit war crimes and not think twice about it. This is the same mindset as Trump. Remember when Trump said, um, we have to take out their families. We have to take out their families. He was on Fox and Friends talking about going after not just terrorists, but the families of terrorists. we got to take out their families. 
That's what he said casually. We have to get their families. By the way, you know what his first military raid as president did? It killed a nine-year-old American girl. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Civilian death uh, drone rate through the roof. He doesn't care. Doesn't impact me. Doesn't impact the people I know. So it's far away. They're brown people, whatever. It, whatever happens, happens. No, we have to value civilian lives. These are not debatable issues. The whole point of you know, the Nuremberg Tribunals and the Geneva Conventions and international law and the International Criminal Court, the whole point behind it is, oh, these are supposed to be rules, laws that are objective, that apply to everybody. Michael Bloomberg is casually saying, no, let's ignore that. Let's ignore that. If we've got to bomb a school with civilians in it, so be it. That is not defensive. That's not defensive. Killing civilians on purpose is the definition of terrorism. That's the textbook definition. Killing civilians for a political or religious reason. That's what that is. And he's casually like, yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Well, then you're a terrorist sympathizer at best, a terrorist at worst, because as president, I'm sure you'd be pressing that button in a second. So this is who we're dealing with, man. This is who we're dealing with. The more stuff comes out about Michael Bloomberg, the more damning it is. And we're just getting warmed up. A lot more stuff is going to come out. It just broke uh, this week that there are countless women accusing Michael Bloomberg of sexual harassment. This is the same thing that happened with Trump. The list is endless. So uh, we're just getting started, man. What are we going to do? Replace one corrupt oligarch with another corrupt oligarch and think that things are going to improve? It's not going to happen. So it's time to fight back. It's time to examine what this guy actually believes and what he stands for. And what you hear right here alone is disqualifying. Okay. All right. Um, let me take an actual break now that's not an emergency break. And when I come back, I'm not done with Michael Bloomberg. I'm still going on Bloomberg. And then um, I have Pete Buttigieg going after Bernie with some bullshit. So stay right there, everybody. We'll be right back with all that and much, much more.
We are back, bitch. All right. I had to eat a little something. I hadn't eaten anything yet today. Let's keep it going in this motherfucker. I got so much more Bloomberg because uh, he's the worst. And all these stories popped up over the weekend. A video of Michael Bloomberg went viral on Twitter this weekend. I don't know what year this is from. I don't know what kind of event he's at. But he appears to be in somebody's living room. And he's talking about health care. Look at what he says about treating the elderly. I wonder if Michael Bloomberg would feel that way if it was him that had cancer and he was 95 years old. Would he say, you know what, I've had a good one, just let it rock? He might. I mean, I know there are some people who decide if they're old enough and the cancer is too advanced, okay, what am I going to do? But, yeah, as a general rule, anybody who uh, wants to try to fight it, they can fight it because it's health care. And because people want to live, there are exceptions. But, you know, for him to say, and by the way, remember, he was mayor of New York City. He wants to be president of the United States of America. And he's saying, hey, man, healthcare is going to bankrupt us. So as a result of that, we got to get serious. And the way it gets serious is deny healthcare to old people. No. How about that? <laughs> so, guys, how many times have I, you know, talked about this before, but. We spent $7 trillion in Iraq when all is said and done, when you include the interest and you extrapolate to 2053. $7 trillion. We've already spent a couple trillion. Uh, in Afghanistan, $2 trillion. So that, we're talking about $9 trillion right there. Haven't even brought up the multi-trillion dollar Wall Street bailout. Every single year we do uh, giant subsidies to uh, the oil industry. The list goes on and on of the ways that we waste money and spend on things that we shouldn't be spending on. But the only time where these, these conversations happen, where a belt tightening and we got to look out for the deficit and all that stuff and it's going to bankrupt us, is Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. So health care. Health care and payment to our elderly people. That's the only time where they talk about, oh, we can't afford it. Oh, my God, we got to tighten our belts. Oh, my God. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it because those are the actual moral necessities. It's a moral necessity to have something like Social Security because, yes, but before we had that implemented, during the Great Depression, like 50% of uh, our elderly were living in poverty. 
now after years and years of Social Security, that's all the way down to 10%. Now, it should be zero, but something like that is a moral necessity. I definitely say in a civilized society, we take something like that off the table. We say, hey, man, they used to have this conversation all the time during the 2000 um, presidential debate where Al Gore and George W. Bush would argue over putting Social Security in a lockbox, as they called it. So in other words, never cut it, don't touch it. Now, George W. Bush went on to try to cut Social Security, so he was lying when he said, oh, I want to put it in a lockbox. But it should actually be in a lockbox, and if anything, we should be expanding it, like Bernie Sanders talks about on a regular basis. But look at how Michael Bloomberg callously, nonchalantly discusses health care for older people. Well, you're old, so what, there's nothing we can do. What? No, 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 no. Um, anybody who wants to fight it should have the right to fight it. You know, when, it, when we talk about rationing care, uh, every, every country, every government, every healthcare system rations care. It's a question of what are your standards? How do you ration care? And the, the systems that make sense, in my opinion, ration based off of need. Whoever needs the care gets it ASAP. We don't do that here in this country. We do a wallet biopsy in this country. And we say, okay, well, if you're wealthy, you can, you know, hop the line and all that stuff. But what he's talking about here goes far beyond a wallet biopsy, goes far beyond rationing based on need. This is just an authoritarian uh, oligarch who wants to decide who gets to live and die based on his own whims and based on what he thinks. I'm not very interested in what you think, Michael Bloomberg. I'm not interested in what you think. I'm interested in what the individual thinks, and I'm interested in what the doctors think. Okay, that's it. That's all I'm interested in. I mean, again, if this was Michael Bloomberg himself or a family member of his, he absolutely would pump the brakes and say, whoa, 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 no, we're going to do everything we can to fight this. But when it's one of the peasants, whatever, whatever, you're old, you had a good life, time to move along, son. As somebody with, a, a, you know, a father who passed away from cancer, the thought that some government bureaucrat would step in, somebody like Michael Bloomberg steps in and says, mm, I'm deciding to not do anything, to not allow anything to continue in terms of treatment. You have any idea how much that would infuriate me? How much that would infuri infuriate anybody with a functioning brain? So um, I totally disagree with him here. You know, the only type of rationing that makes sense is rationing based on need. But if you want to fight it, you obviously should be able to fight it. And Michael Bloomberg shouldn't be able to override you on that front. But this is right in line with his philosophy, his philosophy of authoritarianism. That's what he is. I mean, that's, where, that's why you get, you know, the soda ban, for example. I think he banned smoking on public beaches in New York City. It's a giant fucking ashtray that you're on, and he banned smoking there outside. Um, a lot of his decisions come back to rank authoritarianism. Hey, I want, to, I want to micromanage. I want to control everything. And this is another example of it right here. Okay, next. Bernie lit up Michael Bloomberg. 
Bernie Sanders was at an event in Nevada. I believe he was in Vegas. And um, he decided to take the gloves off and go after Michael Bloomberg. And let me also say a word about the current campaign and say to you that regardless of how much money a multi-billionaire candidate is willing to spend on his election, we will not create the energy and excitement we need to defeat Donald Trump if that candidate pursued, advocated for, and enacted racist policies like stop and frisk, which cause communities of color in his city to live in fear. We will not defeat Donald Trump with a candidate who in 2015 stated, and I quote, I, for example, am not in favor, have never been in favor of raising the minimum wage. We will not defeat Donald Trump with a candidate who opposed modest proposals during Barack Obama's presidency to raise taxes on the wealthy while advocating for cuts to Medicare and Social Security. We will not defeat Donald Trump with a candidate who, instead of holding the crooks on Wall Street accountable, blamed the end of racist policies such as redlining for the financial crisis. The simple truth is that Mayor Bloomberg, with all his money, will not create the kind of excitement and energy we need to have the voter turnout we must have to defeat Donald Trump. See, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Now, compare that with the attack that Michael Bloomberg just did on Bernie, where all Michael Bloomberg does is show mean tweets from Bernie supporters. Wow. What a strong attack. So nothing against Bernie, nothing against his record, because Michael Bloomberg would get shredded in that debate. So he says, yeah, but your, your supporters are like mean and stuff, bro. Who cares? They're trying to get people health care. They're trying to end wars. This is all more important than your feelings. I don't care how triggered you are, you special little snowflake. But what does Bernie do? This guy supported stop and frisk. Attacks him on that. Bernie's correct. It's been ruled unconstitutional. Even apart from it being unconstitutional, it didn't work. 99.9% of the time, they didn't stop criminals. Only 0.01 or something like that percent of the convictions were of violent crimes. So just utter failure of a program. He opposed the minimum wage increase. He actually blocked it as a New York City mayor, although he's talking about a clip after that in 2015 when he spoke about um, being against the minimum wage. He said, you know, Bloomberg is against raising taxes on the rich. Hmm, I wonder why. Um, he advocated for cutting Social Security and Medicare. He blamed the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis and Great Recession on redlining, which is the um, basically the systematic blocking of people of color from living in, like, majority white districts. That's what that is. It's saying, hey, there's a side of the town for people of color, and there's a side of the town for white people. And the fact that we ended redlining, allowing people to live wherever they want, uh, that led to the subprime mortgage crisis and the Great Recession. This is, um, you know... It's a very silly argument, and it really does take responsibility away from the crooks on Wall Street, as Bernie Sanders accurately pointed out. So 
All the attacks here are substantive. All of them are substantive. We got a lot more too, man. We've spoken about them on this show. Another one is he was advocating for raising taxes on the poor because he says the poor have bad habits and we need to disincentivize those bad habits, so take more of their money from them. Uh, spying on Muslims. Again, the list goes on and on. This guy is, um, you know, he's terrible. Michael Bloomberg is terrible. But notice the difference. Bernie's attacks are substantive. Michael Bloomberg's attacks are incredibly silly, petty, and focused on not Bernie, but his supporters. So the very clarifying moment in this race. And Michael Bloomberg can try all he wants to buy this race, but we're going to do everything we can in our power to prevent this corrupt oligarch from being the nominee. All right, now we're going to go to Pete Buttigieg because he also went after Bernie and he did a terrible job as well. So Mayor Pete attacked Bernie with, you know, his usual BS and nonsense. He said the following, Medicare for all who want it covers every American and won't raise taxes on the middle class. Bernie Sanders' plan raises taxes on every American making over $29,000 a year. This election will decide which plan we take on Donald Trump with. So, um, listen. There's the normal stuff that I could say in response to this, to this, which all of you already know, which is every single detailed study on this finds that Medicare for All saves money. It saves money. It saves $5.1 trillion over a 10-year period. You know that. I know that. He's massively misleading people. If, if you take away the private tax that people have to pay to their health insurance company and you replace it with a much smaller public tax, they save money. So to just frame that as, oh, he wants to raise taxes on Americans to pay for this, that's total nonsense. It's incredibly misleading, and it's misleading on purpose. But forget about my response to this. Let's look at what Bernie's policy advisor, Warren Gunnels, said back to him on Twitter. He said, your plan, talking to Mayor Pete, would impose a tax of about $7,000 for every uninsured American. 40% don't have $400 to pay for an emergency. How will they come up with $7,000? The Buttigieg campaign said that backbilling is a feature and not a bug. A $7,000 feature for those who can least afford it. So that's correct. Mayor Pete's plan. So you know how under Obamacare there was this, um, there was a punishment if you didn't buy um, health insurance on the private marketplace. There was a tax that was levied against you. Now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and you could uh, you know, correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the Supreme Court found that that tax, that fine is not allowed. It's an overstepping of government authority. So in other words, there's really no enforcement mechanism for Obamacare. It, they say, oh, you have to buy health insurance on the private marketplace, but if you don't do it, there's really Dickie McGee's acts they could do about it. Well, what Mayor Pete is saying is forget the relatively minor fine that they had on the books for Obamacare if you didn't get health care. They're saying we'll actually fine you $7,000 if you're uninsured. 
So in other words, the people who are the most desperate in the country who fall into that gap where they don't, they don't make so little that they're covered by Medicaid and they don't you know, have a job that offers them insurance, the people who are like lower working class, lower middle class, who are in that gap and they're like barely scraping by and they might like not purchase healthcare because it's too much of their income. He would find those people $7,000 a pop. That's what Mayor Pete would do. Come on, man. Come on. Now, what's so ironic is the same day that Mayor Pete launched this attack on Bernie Sanders, look at what came out. A new study, an A-team of epidemiologists found that Medicare for All will save Americans $450 billion and prevent 68,000 unnecessary deaths each and every year. So every time on this show, when we talk about Medicare for All, what do we say? Anywhere from 32,000 to 45,000 people die every year because they don't have access to basic health care. Well, it turns out, at least according to one study, that's an underestimate that they say about 68,000 unnecessary deaths will be prevented each year because of Medicare for All. So Medicare for All saves lives, up to 68,000 lives every single year. So here's my question to Mayor Pete with your little snide nonsense attacks on Bernie on one of his strongest issues, Medicare for All. Why are you okay with 68,000 people dying every single year because they don't have access to basic health care? Why are you okay with that? I would love a real answer to that question, but I'm not going to get it. But I would love a real answer to that question. I would, man. I absolutely would. It's unacceptable. Any candidate who's not for Medicare for All, I mean, the mental gymnastics these, these guys do, the lengths they go to, to twist themselves into intellectual pretzels to say Medicare for All is a bad idea. I'm done with it. I'm sick of it. Every other developed country, if you're sick, you get help. End of conversation. Healthcare is free at the point of service. They have, all have one version or another of a, of a, a universal health care system. So if you're not in favor of a universal health care system, you can go away. And um, unfortunately, at this point, every candidate except Bernie, Tulsi, and Warren isn't for a single or, or one version or another of a universal health care system. And in my opinion... Warren's is the weakest because she does it in two parts, which is not going to happen. Tulsi's is okay, but it's still too much of a role for private insurance. And um, Bernie's is really the only one of the remaining candidates that's really pushing for what I think is the solution. So I'm sick of fighting these battles. that should These battles should have been fought and won in like the 1940s, and we're still talking about them today. And that's why I get so pissed, and that's why I yell and scream on this show, and that's why I get so triggered, is because guys like Mayor Pete, they insist on debating the non-debatable. We already settled this debate. This is like debating evolution. That's what this is. Seriously, this is like debating climate change. This is something we know what the answers are, and you come in and arrogantly act like we don't know what the answers are, and your mealy mouth, middle ground nonsense plan is better. Get out of here. All right, now... Uncle Joseph, Hansy Uncle Joseph. Joe Biden, also known as uh, Sleepy Joe Biden, that's what Trump calls him, or as I call him, 
pansy Uncle Joseph. He, uh, he took a shot at Bernie. Uh, Biden apparently realizes that he's totally flailing and, and not doing so well in the polls. And so he's going after Bernie because Bernie's the front runner. Here he is on Meet the Press. Let's see what he had to say. I think one of the things that people are looking for more than anything else is the authenticity. Oh, you're going to get me out of this? Are you going to figure a way through here? Healthcare is... And that Bernie strength, though? Well, everybody knows this. But one thing about Bernie, you know where he stands, you know who he is, he doesn't right. change. And, I mean, isn't and that... never got anything done. I'm not being, I mean, no, he's I a decent guy. I mean, he's been talking about health care, me- Medicare for all, universal health care for 35 years. Nothing's happened. I helped get past Obamacare. Well, actually, uh, Bernie Sanders helped write Obamacare. Obviously, the ideal plan is single-payer Medicare for all, um, and he tried to get the president to go in that direction and to get the Democrats to go in that direction but you idiots stopped him. That's not his fault. That is your fault. Um, but when push came to shove, he decided, I better improve millions of lives right now. So he helped write Obamacare. Um, and for Joe Biden to say, well, he never got anything done. Really? Well, let's take a look at what he actually has gotten done. I'll just give you a few off this list here, but I think it's really important that we go through it. This is from Warren Gunnels, Bernie's policy advisor. He's giving the history here. Bernie provided 9 million more Americans with primary health care, 2 million more with dental care, and 860,000 with more mental health services through a $12.5 billion expansion in community health centers. That, I believe, was the part of Obamacare that he helped write. Uh, He raised the minimum wage of 350,000 Amazon workers to at least $15 an hour. That was after the Stop Bezos bill. Uh, He increased the wages of over... 60,000 Disney workers to at least $15 an hour. That was after a a pressure campaign from Bernie. Uh, He restored $320 million in pension benefits to 130,000 IBM workers. Seven states and over 40 cities passed a $15 an hour minimum wage law. This is after Bernie Sanders campaigned on that, marched with unions, and, and did a whole bunch of work on the ground. There's a lot of credit that goes to Bernie, as well as working people who fought for it. Um, Number six, he passed uh, veterans legislation with John McCain providing $5 billion to hire more doctors and nurses to the VA, passed legislation ending our involvement in the Saudi-led war in Yemen, and then Trump went on to veto that, thereby sentencing more Yemeni babies to die because of a Saudi genocide. Number eight, passed the first and only audit of the Federal Reserve in 2010. That was bipartisan. Number nine, passed the National Affordable Housing Trust Fund Act. Number 10, He uh, prevented Social Security cuts to seniors and disabled veterans. Number 11, he stopped the Postal Service from closing up to 15,000 post offices and over $100 million, uh, 100, excuse me, mail processing plants. I don't know where I got a million dollars from. Ending um, Saturday mail and slashing over 100,000 jobs. So um, I'll stop there, but the list goes on and on. Bernie's gotten a lot done. And in fact, there was a nickname for him in Washington, D.C. that goes back quite a while. They called him the Amendment King because he was always able to slip in little provisions here and there that would massively help people. He's actually fighting for people. And this reminds me, actually, of when, um, you know, the, the 2016 race when um, Hillary and them rigged it, but Bernie bowed out at the end, and people were like, oh, why is he taking so long to endorse Hillary? You want to know why? I know why. It was reported. He wanted ex- policy extractions from her. See, that's where any other politician, 
That's where a Joe Biden type of politician goes behind closed doors and says, what's in it for me? What position will you give me in your administration? How do I get something out of this? What did Bernie Sanders do? He got behind closed doors with Hillary Clinton and he said, okay, what do I have to do to get you to sign on to my free college bill? That's the kind of guy we're talking about. That's the kind of guy we're talking about. And um, it's incredibly admirable. And he's gotten a lot done in his career. And this is up against a tsunami of BS and corporatism. The fact that he got anything done at all with the neoliberal centrist corporatist mindset in his own party, that says a lot. And that speaks to how effective he is as a legislator. And um, I'll go out there and say, even if Bernie didn't get anything done, I would still support him because on paper he supports the right things. And I know he'll do everything he can to try to implement those correct policies. So even if what Biden was saying is true, and it's not, but even if it was true, I'd be like, I don't care. He's still correct. He's still correct. Biden's, uh, you know, compromises are compromises that screw over working people by and large. Various outsourcing deals, for example, you know, the Iraq war. I want somebody who will compromise with the right on our terms. That's Bernie. He agreed. He worked with Mike Lee of Utah to try to end the U.S. support for the genocide in Yemen. That's what I want. I don't want somebody like, you know, Joe Biden or, or Joe Manchin who are like, oh, great. How can I work with Republicans to do what they want, like Wall Street deregulation? I don't want that. So, um, Joe, you look very sleepy, and um, you'll have all the time in the world to relax, lay around, and sleep uh, when you continue to get destroyed in this primary. Okay, next. Time to talk about the cloud boot jar. Time to talk about the cloud boot jar. Amy Klobuchar thoroughly embarrassed herself this week. She was unable to name the president of Mexico during an interview. This is really cringeworthy, but it's worth every second. Okay, well, what I will tell you is that I will visit Mexico in the first uh, 100 years. 100, 100 days. 100 days. I will you visit are, uh, there. are yes. running for president. Yes. You would like to be the, yes. nom, uh, yes. the Democratic uh, candidate. Yes. What do you know about the Mexican president now? Uh, well, I know that he is uh, elected in the last few years. I don't know him personally. I've met with the ambassador, and I was actually supportive of the trade agreement. So I worked with the embassy on that. They came to meet you with know, me. And I ask because it's so important, especially yes. Nevada, California, Arizona, and Texas. It's yes. our neighbor to the south. Yes. Do you know anything about him, specifically his politics, what he's doing, since this would be the country you would share a border with? Uh, anything well, you can tell me about him? I just I know that they are neighbors, and regardless of who the leader is, that it is someone that I will work with. Do, do you? I, I'm sorry to ask, <laughs> but do you know who he is? Do you know his name? Yes, yes. I um, I know that he is the Mexican president. But so. can you tell me his name? Uh, no. So. Don't you think it would be important if you're running for president to know who the president of Mexico, the country to the south of the United States, is? Yes. Because it, it affects so many Americans. Uh, 
Mexican Americans are the largest Hispanic, uh, the, the largest number of Hispanics in the U.S. are Mexican Americans. Of course it is. Yes. Oh. Woo, boy. Wow. That is something else, isn't it? This reminds me of uh, in 2016, Bernie was doing a radio interview with Hugh Hewitt, I believe it was. And um, Ber- did I say Bernie? Did I say Bernie? I meant Trump. Trump was doing a radio interview with Hugh Hewitt. And um, he didn't know who Hamas is, and he didn't know who Hezbollah is. And, uh, oh, and he didn't know who the Kurds are. So it was a really, like, clarifying moment of, like, oh, so whatever your perception of Trump is, that's correct. Like, this kind of vapid, know-nothing billionaire who's coasting off of ego – that was verified that week because he didn't know basic things that you, you know, you might not know it, but that's okay because you're not running for president. If you're running for president, you have to have a certain knowledge base. So for Amy Klobuchar here, um, this is just beyond embarrassing. I mean, if, if you were asked to name like the president of Kazakhstan, I got it. You're not going to get that. I'm not going to get that. I don't know that. Um, if you're asked to name I don't know, the leader in the Congo. I get it. You might not know that. I might not know that. I don't, actually. Um, But when you talk about Mexico, first of all, that's our neighbor. Second of all, we have a lot of business dealings with them. Um, Third of all, he he just got elected. Of course, the answer here is AMLO. Andres Manuel um, Lopez Obrador. And... She doesn't know that. It was a very, very big story very, very recently. And if you follow political news even a little bit, you knew about that. And again, even if you don't, I think most of my audience knows, but even for the few in my audience who don't know who the president of Mexico is, um, you're not running for president. If you're running for president, you should know who the president is of a country that freaking borders us and is a very important partner in many respects. And, and, you know, what is there to know about AMLO? By the way, he is actually the example that we on the left should bring up whenever they try to compare Bernie Sanders to, like, you know, whatever, Fidel Castro um, or Maduro or any other leftist leaders like that. Our immediate response should be, no, he's a lot more like AMLO. Why? Why should we say that? Because AMLO is actually, in many respects, populist left. Um there is a hint, especially with characters like Maduro, there's also some authoritarianism in his ideology and his philosophy. Uh, there's not a hint of that in Bernie's, and that there's really not much of that in AMLO either. So, and he was, was wildly successful. He won the election. So we should probably bring up AMLO uh, about how the left can win, and he's a good example of that. So to not know that, in all seriousness, is kind of disqualifying because you – it just proves that you, Amy Klobuchar, are a vapid narcissist who's only in this race because of ego, because you want to have the title of president. And that's not okay. That's not okay. Uh, also, by the way, Tom Steyerstyre, he uh, apparently didn't get this question either. He failed as well. I'm not surprised by that. Uh, and listen, credit where credit is due, Mayor Pete knew. 
Now, this is a super low bar, super low bar. But the reason we're talking about it is because uh, Klobuchar and Steyer didn't know. So credit to Mayor Pete. He knows uh, that AMLO is the president of Mexico. And they, I don't think they asked Bernie, but he definitely knows, <laughs> especially because he's kind of like an ideological ally in many respects. So, man, Klobuchar, really? Really? You're supposed to be like, you know, the person who's really pragmatic and competent. And to not know the president of a country that frickin' borders us, who was just elected, and it was giant news, who we have deals going on with, that's beyond sad. She goes on to brag, by the way, that she supports the new NAFTA. Okay, that's, first of all, it's not something to brag about. The new NAFTA is a lot like the old NAFTA, and it was terrible for working people, okay? It's a big, a giant giveaway to big pharma also. But, so you supported the deal, you don't even know the president of the country that we did the deal with. That scares me. Because then what are the chances you know you can name any of the provisions in NAFTA, even one or two? As somebody who voted on it, you should know a lot more, but she probably can't name even one or two provisions in there. So, um, Amy, please exit stage. I would say left, but you're not left. <laughs> exit stage right. Time to disagree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, believe it or not. (sighs) Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made a questionable argument about health care while talking to the Huffington Post. Here's what um, they say. A president can't wave a magic wand and pass any legislation they want, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez told Huffington Post this week. Ocasio-Cortez, one of the most outspoken advocates for Medicare for All, said she thought voters understood there was an inherent check on the president's ability to actually change things like our health care system. And she argued that the realities of governing were actually an argument for someone like Sanders as he'd be able to push Democrats and resulting changes further left. But Ocasio-Cortez is also realistic about how far even a President Sanders could actually move Congress. The worst case scenario, we compromise deeply and we end up getting a public option. Is that a nightmare? I don't think so, she said. Ocasio-Cortez stressed that just getting a public option for health care wasn't the left's ultimate goal, but she also said, she wasn't here to railroad other members with differing viewpoints on health care. She just thinks it helps to have a president who has a more ambitious platform than Congress so the Democrats could stretch what's possible. So when I read that, my first thoughts are, this is why we need Jank Uger to get elected. Because Jank Uger is an enforcer. Jank Uger doesn't show her cards, show his cards like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just showed her cards. Okay, even if you agree with what AOC is saying here, she shouldn't say it. That's the thing that happens after an extended, long, detailed negotiation where you fight for your position relentlessly. If you're telling them up front, yeah, we'll compromise and we'll get the public option, then 
what you're saying is my actual position right now is the public option, and then you're going to get a lot less than that. So being somebody who's in Congress, like, I can, as an outsider, I can speculate about the way a negotiation will go, because I'm not part of the negotiation. You're part of the negotiation. So you don't show your cards up front like that. No, 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 no. Now, again, the reason why I brought Jenk Uger into this is because that's not what Jenk's going to do. Jenk's going to say, no, every other developed country has a universal health care system. We want single-payer Medicare for all, and that's our position, and we're going to make you come to that position. And if you're against us, we're going to make you pay a political price for it. That's what Jenk would do. So, you know, I think that's really important. Now, also, what I would say is, and this is where I think she really goes wrong, Medicare for all is the compromise position. So what does that mean? Let me explain that. When you look at a healthcare system like the UK, for example, they have the NHS, the National Health System. National Health System, National Health Service, whatever it stands for. NHS is the universal healthcare system in the UK. What they have is public funding of public institutions, public hospitals, public doctors, so on and so forth. So that is a fully socialized healthcare system where it's all tax money, okay, and it's all government-employed people working in the system. That's the true left-wing position. And by the way, let me just add um, that when you look at various worldwide studies, oftentimes the UK comes out number one when it comes to the health system, number one. Now, the compromise position from that, that's the true left position. The compromise position is let's have public funding, so tax money, funding private hospitals, private doctors, private practices, private institutions. That's the compromise. Here's what's not debatable. Here's what's off the table. Everything is free at the point of service. That I will not concede an inch on. I will not concede a millimeter on. I will not concede a fraction of a millimeter on. I just won't. Free at the point of service is the operative thing, which is non-negotiable and not debatable. For AOC to say, oh, well, maybe we'll compromise to a public option, I just disagree with you then. I just disagree with you. I think you're wrong, and I think you're willing to concede too much in the debate, in the negotiation. I get it. There is a debate. There is a negotiation that goes on. I understand that. I understand that we can't get everything we want. Like she said, you can't wave a magic wand and get everything you want. But the furthest I'm willing to go is a Medicare for all system where it's tax money, public money, funding private doctors. That's as far as I'm going to go. Now, if slash when people say, well, I'm not in favor of that, okay, well then get ready. So I'm coming at you, and you're going to lose. So that's where President Bernie Sanders steps in, and he goes, no, no, no. This is, our, this is the compromise. This is what we're going to do. And I'm going to go campaign. I'm the president. I just got elected. My approval rating is 70%. I'm going to go campaign in your state. What's your approval rating, 37%? I'm going to go campaign in your state, and I'm going to force you to vote for this bill. And if you don't vote for this bill, you can kiss your career goodbye, Joe Manchin, Doug Jones, whoever it may be. Now, we need a Democratic majority in the House. We need a Democratic majority in the Senate. But if you know how to play politics, if you know how to get your way, then you can get this done with a majority in the House and a majority in the Senate. So... 
Is it going to require twisting the arms of the Blue Dogs? You bet your ass it will. You bet your ass it will require twisting the arms of not the Blue Dogs, but other centrist Democrats. You bet your ass it's going to require that. But that's what we're going to do. And you need a president in there. You need uh, a Jenk Uger enforcer in there. And also, by the way, and Bernie would admit this, you need people marching on Washington, people in the streets, millions of people, a general strike even, demanding change, demanding. It's the outside-inside game. But here's what we don't do, AOC. Concede up front and concede to a position that's too much of a concession. Public option is too much of a concession. We messed around for too long with things that are not universal health care. So public option is not enough. It's just not. And um, so I disagree with her here. And I think that even if that was her position, she shouldn't have said it publicly. Because now you just let everybody know, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll eventually say yes to public option. You just gave away all your bargaining chips. If you want to have that conversation from outside of the system, you're not a congressperson, fine. She's in that debate, in that negotiation, in the system. She can't show her cards like that. So I totally disagree with her. Um, and Believe it or not, it was Mayor Pete last year who said it. He's the guy who said it, that the, the compromise position is Medicare for all. Now he's changed his mind, and he does the Medicare for all who want it, and he's a corporate centrist hack. But back then when he was trying to be on the left, he said that. He said the compromise position is Medicare for all. Public funding and private doctors. The real left-wing position is the NHS-style system. So that's the correct position on this, in my opinion. And we need people who are going to fight for that, which is why I really want Jenk in there, because he is the enforcer of this left-wing movement. And as much as I appreciate, love, respect, you know, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ro Khanna, all these people, they're wonderful, and I do mean that, but... We need somebody who's really loud, really unapologetic, really arrogant, and is a sheer enforcer who doesn't mind having the media come after him. Because that's what's going to happen with Cenk. The media is going to viciously go after him. He doesn't care. He just wants to get these policies implemented. And um, it's a lot harder for people who don't have that super thick skin like he has. He's been getting it for a long time. He's been you know, a public figure for a long time. If you're not used to those relentless attacks and them coming after you and them being mean to you, you don't want that, which is understandable as a human being. But we need it for the country in order to get these things done. Okay, next. I got a new Bernie Sanders ad, and y'all gonna love it, bitch. All right, so I've showed you guys a bunch of uh, fan-made Bernie Sanders ads this election cycle. And um, I have more, honestly. They're, every one of them is wonderful. Every one of them is beautiful. Every one of them is, you know, a tearjerker. But uh, this one's right up there as well, man. Now, this one is made by, I want to give you his name here, on both Twitter and YouTube. It's Green Black Logic. Green Black Logic. One word on Twitter, one word on YouTube. At Green Black Logic on Twitter, Green Black Logic on YouTube. Uh, he made this ad. It's a wonderful ad. Um, it's a barn burner, so get ready and then we'll discuss. You work 
mines yourself, huh? Yes, I retired in WA Miner, and I never dreamed that I'd get to thank you personally, myself, to, for the bill that you have co-sponsored and uh, how the Senate Bill 175, the Miners Protection Act, which I'm one of those miners that will lose. I think Bernie Sanders would lose in a landslide to Donald Trump. Why would you vote for Donald Trump? Uh, basically because he wasn't Hillary. He, would you have supported Senator Sanders if he was on Yes, I wouldn't. I think he's the worst candidate in a general election. I think it's amazing. Yes. You're Vermont and you care more about what you There's a lot of activity around trying to stop Bernie Sanders. You have to excite people that did not come out in 2016. Young people, independent, typical non-voters. Without that passion, in the past, you proposed a freeze to it. No, I didn't propose a freeze. When I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I make Social Security as well. Once, twice, tried it the third time, and I tried it the fourth time. Entitlements ever be on your plate. At some point, they will be. It's about the influence of money. That's corruption.
happy to tell you what I think you already know, that I am the author of the Medicare for All Single Player Bill. I want to see Bernie versus Trump because we're in a class war. We will eliminate medical debt in this country. Senator, you are the only one that I can trust. You're the one that I trust. We've got one shot. I need my dad with me. Massive credit to Jack Green there. Wow. That was beyond powerful. That was, I didn't expect it, but I started tearing up a little bit as I was watching that. That was powerful, man. That hit me in all the feels. Wow. I mean, that says it all. What the hell am I supposed to add to that? That says everything right there. Uh, and as usual, I'm flattered to be considered, even if it's for a brief uh, you know, time frame, I'm flattered to be that part of that video. I don't know if you guys caught it, but you hear me saying um, that's why we call him America's dad, talking about Bernie. So, man, this is great. Now, you do not get this kind of enthusiasm with any other candidate. It doesn't happen. Amy Klobuchar and Joe Biden and Mayor P don't have fan-made videos like this. They just don't. And really, man, it comes down to a very basic thing, which is Bernie is actually representing an ideology and a philosophy that will help people in this country and around the world, namely a philosophy of social democracy, namely the continuation of FDR's New Deal legacy. That's all it is. Very simple, very straightforward. By the way, it's not even that far left. When you look at mainstream public opinion in this country, you look at the opinion polls, Bernie is with the majority of Americans on the overwhelming majority of the issues. So it's not radical. Really, there's an argument for it being very moderate and centrist and mainstream if those definitions are not the Washington, D.C. definitions and not that spectrum, but the spectrum of the entire country and the spectrum of the developed world. If you look at you know, other uh, industrialized countries, he's just... He's like the most mild, moderate person that there is. It's just, you know, he actually has some degree of empathy for people, um, and he wants to fix the system. That's it. All the other candidates, it's, you know, one, one degree or another of how much of a, a centrist corporate neoliberal are you? And, you know, those people like Mayor Pete, people like Amy Klobuchar, people like Joe Biden, they don't believe in that government has an important role for basic necessities. And they also think the U.S. should be the world's police. You know, that, that's their problem. Their problem is their, their philosophy is not really all that coherent and, and simple. Their philosophy is like, you know, this weird mix of thinking that the market is better than it is. 
thinking that they don't agree with Bernie that certain things should be off the table in a civilized society. They don't agree that we should eliminate medical debt, that we should eliminate student loan debt, that we should have free college, that um, we should have Medicare for all. They only go like 10%, 20% of the way to what Bernie wants to do. And um, it's hard for them to win because those positions they take are unpopular. So they're coasting off of big money donations and they will represent the interests of the elites, whereas Bernie obviously represents the interests of working people. So I think that's a really powerful ad, and um, I love these fan-made ads. I hope people keep making them because, honestly, I think a lot of the fan-made ones are just as good, if not better, than the official ones, and uh, I hope they go viral. So I'll do my part here to try to make this go viral, and shout-out again to the creator. This was uh, really something special. Okay, next. Good news here uh, from last week, but it will become bad news shortly. U.S. President Donald Trump's ability to wage war on Iran without congressional approval has been limited in a Senate bill passed by his fellow Republicans. The Iran War Powers Resolution was approved by a vote of 55 to 45, hours after Mr. Trump warned that it would make America less safe from Iran. Oh, please. The House passed a version of the bill in January after Mr. Trump ordered the killing of a top Iranian general. Mr. Trump is expected to veto the bill once it reaches the White House. That's the bad news right there. On Thursday, eight Republicans bucked the president's party, which has a majority in the Senate, to vote in favor of forcing Trump to consult with Congress before conducting military operations against Iran. So um, I don't have the list of the Republicans here, but I do believe it's more or less your usual suspects of people who bucked the president's authority, Rand Paul, um, Mike Lee, to name just two. Um, but so it's great news that it passed the Senate. This is a wonderful middle finger to the face of Trump and um, to the unitary executive theory, theory of power, which is the president gets to do whatever the hell he wants. But Trump is going to veto it. So that's massively depressing. Now, I will say, though, and that's what this story proves, that Trump, he was just nothing but a charlatan and a fraud and a con man when he went out there repeatedly and he tried to pretend like he is the anti-war candidate, like he would bring the troops home. He would, you know, bring the troops home, rebuild our country, stop doing all these stupid wars. Since he's gotten into power, we have increased the drone war, which was already bad with Obama already terrible, 90% civilian death rate, but Trump's civilian death rate is about the same, and he's increased the number of drone strikes. He increased it by 432%, and that's a fact that's old now. It's a year and a half, two years old, so it could be even more than that by now. Um, but increase the drone war, increase true presence in Syria, increase in Iraq, increase in Afghanistan, now repeatedly prodding and moving towards war with Iran, assassinating a top Iranian general willy-nilly when there was no threat to the United States of America. 
so extreme, so over the top, so impulsive that now even the House and the Senate are like, you know what, man? Under the Constitution, we have the authority to declare war. So we're preventing you from doing another attack against Iran. We are officially putting it in writing. Here we go. Here it is right here. And you got to give massive credit to you know, Bernie Sanders for leading the charge on this, Ro Khanna for leading the charge on this as well. I know Tulsi Gabbard's deeply committed to these anti-war positions as well, and she's been front and center in a lot of these fights. And um, there's, of course, there's politics going on behind the scenes, and you got, you know, Nancy Pelosi wanted uh, the person to lead it in the Senate to be Tim Kaine, so he could give the centrists a, a win, in um, which is a, something that they rarely ever get. Pelosi wanted to make the centrists look like they actually care about this anti-war issue, when of course they don't. So many centrists voted for Trump's bloated military budget. Elizabeth Warren voted for Trump's bloated military budget. A lot of these same people voted to give Trump more NSA spying powers, which is just absurd and obscene. So, um, but either way, thank, thankfully, we, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a check on him here. He's going to veto it, and that's terrible. But if I'm any of the Democrats running for president, if I'm any elected official in this country, I'm using this to clobber Trump over the head with. This is where Democrats usually fail at politics is when the president of the other party or a politician of the other party does something wrong, they don't make them pay a price. They don't get a pound of flesh from them. That's what we should do. And that's what I would do uh, because I would play all the clips of Trump with all his anti-war stuff on the campaign trail and then compare and contrast it with all the hawkish actions that he's done. Because fundamentally, in the same way that he's an elitist wet dream when it comes to deregulation of the economy and tax cuts for the rich, he's a standard elitist Republican, he's the neocons wet dream when it comes to foreign policy now. And there's never been a clearer example than this. So he could do all the fake populist talk he wants and do all the paleoconservative talking points he wants. He's not that. And his record shows it, and that's all that really matters. Okay, let's do one more. Let's do one more, bitch. Um, I got one more on Trump for you. One more on Trump. Okay, here we go. President Trump is um, taking advantage of the DNC fuckery yet again. This is something that he was able to do in 2016. He exploited it, and now he's doing it again in 2020. And you can't really be mad at him because it is right there in front of our faces, and he's just reminding everybody of it. So here's what he tweeted. It is happening again to Crazy Bernie, just like last time, only far more obvious. They are taking the Democrat nomination away from him, and there's very little he can do. A rigged system. Now, um, there's no way that Bernie Sanders, you know, hears this and he's like, oh, cool. 
he hears this and he wants to tell Trump, hey, www.shuddy.com. Um, but what Trump is saying there is somewhat true. They are basically doing everything in their power, everything that they can do to try to take the nomination from him. And, you know, hey, maybe they're somewhat limited in what they're able to do. Okay, but they did enough to really destroy the Iowa caucus. The results are still not accurate and still don't reflect what we know to be the case, which is Bernie Sanders winning not just in popular vote, but also in state delegate elects. So they did that. You know, who knows what, if anything, went on in New Hampshire. But what we do know is this last minute attempt to try to get um, to, for Tom Perez to get Mike Bloomberg in the debates. What do you think that is? That's a stop Bernie at all costs move. That's a, oh, my God, Biden is collapsing. Mayor Pete and Klobuchar are not strong enough. Maybe we can do a last ditch effort to try to get Mike Bloomberg in there. So. Listen, people can be mad at Trump all they want and say, like, oh, my God, you're taking advantage of this. Of course he is. Yes, he's taking advantage, without a doubt, of the current state of affairs in the Democratic Party. But you should really be blaming the DNC. You should really be blaming the Democratic Party for making their fuckery so damn obvious that even a moron like Trump can see it and then take political advantage of it. Now, do I think that Bernie voters are going to, you know, oh, I'll flip to Trump in a general election? the overwhelming majority of them will say, hell no. But could Trump get you know, them to stay home on election day? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you know, if you have Mike Bloomberg as the nominee, are you kidding me? That guy in no way is going to get the turnout that's necessary to defeat Trump. And you can't blame the people. You would have to blame Mike Bloomberg. And for Trump to take a clever political approach here, a, a wink and a nod to the left to say, I see what they're doing to your boy, dog. Well, you know, I can't say I'm surprised, and I can't say it'll be ineffective. So careful, the chickens are coming home to roost. The Democratic establishment at the DNC, if you make your bed, you're going to have to sleep in it. So my advice to you is, hands off the primary no more fucking around and let the actual results come through. And all the evidence at this point, you know, shows that Bernie is by far and away the front runner. But what will be the clearest example ever, which would absolutely hand the election over to Trump, is if Bernie Sanders wins m- most of the votes, wins more votes than any other candidate, but he doesn't have over 50%. Because then it's not decided on the first ballot. It goes to the second ballot. And it would be very likely that they try to steal it from him. They try to give it to somebody else. And I already said this a bunch of times on air, but I'll say it again. Man, in a situation like that, you try to take it from him in that situation, there will be millions of people marching on the DNC. And it'll get dicey. I'm a deep believer in nonviolent, peaceful resistance. But... I can't tell you that everybody who's going to be marching on the DNC at that time, if they're trying to screw Bernie, I can't promise you that nobody is going to, you know, get violent to one extent or another, might do some property damage, might maybe to some extent or another riot. I mean, that might happen. You know, I can't control everybody, a million people who would show up in such a situation. 
And guess what? You would have nobody to blame but yourselves if things got out of hand. Because it, that wouldn't happen if you don't screw him. So here's my advice. Don't screw him. Don't hand Trump a giant propaganda victory. Don't do that. Don't let him take advantage of it. And don't make his criticisms even more accurate by continuing to do the thing he's saying you're doing. Don't do it. You'll hand the election to Trump and you will destroy the Democratic Party for the foreseeable future. Don't say we didn't warn you. I'm warning you right now. Okay. We are done, baby. And I think there's a fly in here. What the fuck is going on? What a weird show today. Anyway, all right, guys, I love you. Um, I will talk to you soon. Everybody, enjoy the rest of your day. Beautiful day here in New York. 48 degrees and sunny. I love that. Unfortunately, I'll be working the rest of the day. Anyway, love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.